Will a molecular compression specialist please report to bay number two? How about a game of trivia? On the board, I'll be me, and you'll be you. Little did they realize back then, they were making memories. Sorry, Simba, but you know, on you the wet look doesn't look so bad. Have a great stay here in Epcot, or wherever your final destination may take you. Hello, my friend, and welcome to the WW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World Information Station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is episode number 507, and I'm here once again not only to help you have the best experience when you go to the parks, but I also want to bring you a little bit of Disney magic wherever you are, not just with the podcast, but with videos, blog posts, my books and audio tours, my live broadcast on Facebook every Wednesday night. You can find everything over at www.radio.com. So I invite you to join me live-ish from Disney's Old Key West Resort this week. And it's a resort that's unique among Disney properties for a lot of reasons and also holds the distinction of having many firsts in Walt Disney World history. We're going to explore some of the fun and fascinating details and stories that make up this resort's rich legend, as well as its many secrets and hidden treasures, some of which are hiding in plain sight. We're also going to share a few tips to get the most out of your next visit or stay at Old Key West. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week, and I'm going to pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney prize package. Then stay tuned to the end of the show. I'll have more information about upcoming WWE events, meets of the month, in Walt Disney World, and on the road, your voicemails, and more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WWE Radio Show. One of the things I love being able to do with this show is record live from locations in Walt Disney World and at Disney Parks and Cruise Line and most oftentimes restaurants. And this week, we're going to do a, a DSI, sort of a Disney scene investigation, a deep dive and look into some of the uh, secrets and stories about a location in Walt Disney World that holds a very special distinction. That's a tease. You'll have to uh, wait to hear exactly what that is. But... It's, a, it's wonderful to be able to be here to share some of those stories and legends and maybe even some tips to get the most out of the resort and your overall enhancing your experience here at Walt Disney World that will, like I think Disney does, exceed expectations. And today I am so excited to be joined by a man who does just that. He continues to exceed expectations not only on the show but with his 20 ish 20 plus somewhere in the 20s it's somewhere in the mid double digits series of books uh, about all things disney he is raconteur storyteller uh author friend just an an exceptional man all around and of course i'm talking about mr jimmy corcus well and thank you and and i'm so excited you know instead of just talking to you over the 
phone as we often do to be at a live location because when that happens you always take me out to eat and you took me out uh, to breakfast this morning and uh, I got a chance to have something I hadn't had before the pancakes with this uh, strawberry sauce that was just incredible and I had uh, ordered a side of real fresh strawberries but if I had known the strawberry sauce was that good I wouldn't have have needed uh, to do that so thank you very much for your uh, graciousness and kindness of, of uh, doing that, but but I know there's no such thing as a free breakfast. <laughs> now I have to to pay for it by by being uh, charming and witty and uh, knowledgeable. Well, you do that. That's just who you are, and and I love this resort not just because I love Olivia's, and we are out here on an absolutely picture perfect Florida day. Um, but I I want you to um, I want you to describe. Disney's old Key West resort, in your opinion, using just one word. Well, I, I would I, I would have picked two: hidden treasure. You know, just just delightful. But I, I think it's a hidden treasure. I think people forget that it's here, and I think that they forget that Olivia's is here. And Olivia's, uh, I've never been here for breakfast before. I've usually been here for lunch and love their uh, club sandwich and. Uh, it, it's just such a, a, a calm, peaceful environment, and it, it's wonderfully themed. It, it was Disney's very first uh, vacation club, and in fact, when it opened, it was called Disney Vacation Club Resort because Disney very foolishly thought this was going to be, you know, the only Disney vacation club, uh, in, and it became so popular that... Um, uh, October uh, 1995 and uh, uh, what was it? February or March 96 they opened up uh, uh, Vero Beach and uh, Hilton Head and so they couldn't just call this uh, uh, the Vacation Club Resort anymore. They they had to make the distinction so they named it Old Key West and uh, I, I was telling you earlier I guess we should be recording our, our, <laughs> our, our uh, dining conversations as well too that uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I heard from a Disney executive who said, Jim, I know, I know that this was called, you know, the Disney Vacation Club and then changed to Old Key West. When they, when they changed the name to Old Key West, did they just retheme the, the resort? <laughs> and I said, you're a Disney executive. You know it comes down to money. Disney wouldn't, it was already spending money for Vero Beach and uh, Hilton Head. They weren't going to invest money here. This was always themed uh, to Old Key West. Um, because Disney had wanted uh, out here on the East Coast uh, to have a resort that was representative of uh, Florida and, and also the um, vintage Florida. So, so this is a, a theme to Old Key West, who, which was, of course, uh, one of the primary uh, vacation destinations uh, uh, for people and was a theme to the early 1900s. And, uh, of, of course, this was visited by uh, presidents. It was visited by celebrities. Uh, even Walt Disney um, uh, was down at uh, uh, Key West for a brief time, you know, getting a, uh, uh, a ship to go to, to, to Cuba because Cuba is only uh, 90 miles away from Old Key West. Actually, Old Key West is the southernmost point. Uh, they call it the end of the rainbow, the southernmost point of uh, the United uh, States, and it's actually closer to Cuba than it is to Miami. 
And, and the only way to get uh, to Old Key West, especially in the uh, early 1900s, uh, was by train or by boat. You didn't go by car. It, you know, car really didn't, uh, wasn't a mode of travel until like about the 1950s. And so that's why when you come to Old Key West and you see the check-in booth, uh, it's themed as a train station. And you have lampposts, and those lampposts are actually uh, authentic lampposts from uh, Duval Street in Old Key West. And again, just another wonderful attention to detail that uh, most guests miss, as as we've been discussing. And I think it's those details that made me think, because when I posed you the question, I asked it for myself too, that one word that I would use to describe this resort I think it's charming. Um, mm. Like old, like, like Key West itself, uh, I think it's very quaint. Uh, I think that, and maybe because it was the first one, we'll talk about some of um, the history and, and about the resort itself. I think this one has, and I think for a lot of Disney Vacation Club members, it's the one where they really feel like they are coming home um, because of the size, maybe because it, it is the oldest one. But let's sort of talk a little bit about how this came to be um, because we have to sort of go back to the um, the, the late 80s uh, when Michael Eisner was beginning what he was going to term the Disney decade which we actually talked about back on show 426 um, this was just to sort of recap the beginning of a, of a massive expansion not just for the parks but really for the resorts we saw the introduction of places like the, the Swan and Dolphin but Disney also <clears throat> was very much paying attention to what was going on outside the berm, as it were, that there was this $400, $500 million industry known as timeshare and and clearly wanted and I think needed a piece of that pie, but understandably also had to change a perception or a misconception about what the the timeshare uh, business is. Obviously, attaching their name to it brings a certain amount of, of trust and credibility to it, but um, they had to uh, they had to position it appropriately so it wouldn't have that sometimes icky, you know, timeshare, yeah, yeah timeshare um, type of feel to it. But even before they got to that point, they put out bids and, and held a design competition for the finalists, and two Southern California firms worked on um, the residential portion and then the, the clubhouse portion. And I think, like you said, the um, the theming and the design was so very important, not just because about story, but even the way they designed the resort in terms of the buildings, making sure they that there was lots of windows, that it was very bright and open. You were talking before as we were wandering the property uh, about the color scheme and um, some of the details, not just the Disney details, but ones that really make this feel like you are in Key West. Yes, it, uh, I, it, Disney is great at creating that different reality. And, and, and you're right, you know, uh, timeshares have that negative com- connotation that you're going to be harassed, you're going to, uh, you know, uh, it's not going to be to your best advantage. Uh, but Disney has a way of going into other business lines, whether uh, it, it's timeshare or cruise ships or whatever, and uh, putting in that uh, Disney difference. So it, it makes it a, uh, to use a cliche, a magical experience. And um, uh, 
you know, I, I, I tell people I don't really need to go to the real Key West. I've been here to, to this. Just like some people have said, well, I don't need to go to the real Italy. I've been to World Showcase. It's, it's probably nicer and cleaner and all of that right over here. But, um, yes, just the wonderful attention to detail here. And, and again, it, it's, when we talk about that attention to detail, it, it's that detail that most people miss consciously. You know, it, it, it affects them uh, subconsciously. I, I was uh, uh, teaching a group of um, uh, educators just a couple of days ago over at the Wilderness Lodge and, and showing them how, how Disney tells stories three-dimensionally and, and the use of detail. And, and uh, one of the teachers said, well, this is that premium ig- resort. Does that happen at, at the other resorts? And I said, yep, even at the value resorts. There uh, is that same level of thought uh, that goes into it. You were, you were mentioning the uh, coloring. We're having we're having the pastels, which uh, very representative of uh, uh, Key West, but they were being used to capture uh, again the Victorian time period as, as well as the Caribbean time period. And so, and so you see some buildings over there that are up on foundations because in Key West. Most of the structures are up on uh, three-foot-high uh, foundations so that the water and the wind can go underneath and you, you have the lattice work. But, but here, when you look at the lattice work, you might see a little hidden Mickey uh, in there. Hidden Mickeys drive me crazy, but y- y- you can see some of the, those things. And so you're capturing not just the feel of, of Key West in the early 1900s, but you're doing it with... Um, that little element of Disney, that little element of Disney pixie dust. Well, and I think, you know, sort of going back to the, the business side of things, I think ensuring there that was there, that there was always going to be that sense of Disneyfication, the, the pixie dusting of the experience. They didn't even call it timeshares. They called it shared vacation ownerships. Um, and I think you've even, you've said that it's not, you know, I said, so because that were, that we're, afraid to use the word timeshare, but we want to make people understand that it's going to be a very different type of experience than what they might have uh, what, what they might have had had they gone off property and been um, and gone to some of those other timeshare sales pitches. And, and we're just uh, uh, sitting a couple of tables down from the uh, semaphore flags and one line of uh, the flags say welcome and the other uh, says um, uh, Members, members, right? Welcome home, members. Welcome home, members. Uh, so, uh, whichever way you're facing, it either says uh, "Welcome home, members" or uh, "Members, welcome home," uh, which which is very clever. Just like the semaphore flags out in front of uh, uh, Typhoon Lagoon say "Piranha in Pool." So, uh, it, it, listen, kids at home, you should know as much as you can, not just about Disney, because that uh, adds to the uh, uh, experience and and where we're sitting, we also see the uh, uh, bridge over there, which is uh, reminiscent of the bridges that uh, Henry Flagler uh, built for for his trains that would connect uh, the keys, the the islands. And in fact, uh, you may notice that once you go through the security guard uh, uh, gate, you're actually going over a bridge, so you're going into Key West. 
which uh, actually ends at the marina over here. And then the other uh, uh, buildings, yes, those are other keys. Those are other islands for uh, for that uh, to happen. And uh, well, and this and the 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 building that's now used where the the check-in area is was originally the preview center, right? That was Conk Flats. That was where they built the preview center in, I guess, the late, you know, probably late 1990. Yes, yes, because, again, a resort opened in uh, 91 here. And, yes, this, uh, this isn't uh, just general Key West. This, this is the city of Conch uh, Flats. And um, it has its own mayor, uh, Cooter Trumbo Esquire. <laughs> And uh, funny enough name, but but Cooter actually is a uh, uh, southeastern United States uh, slang word for uh, uh, turtle, sea turtle, which, which was an industry down here, which which we can talk about because uh, again there are references here: turtle crawled, uh, old turtle pond road, uh, uh, the turtle shack, all of that. And Trumbull Canal, was it Trumbull Canal? Yeah, and and Trumbull uh, uh, refers to Trumbull Point, which was a man-made extension in uh, what was it about 1912 um, to to create a uh, harbor, a port, uh, you know, for for the uh, uh, for the trains. So, um, yeah, and and getting back to to turtles, uh, that was one of the main industries down here. Is uh, about 18. 96 or so, the end of the uh, 1890s there, uh, a French chef came down from uh, New York, uh, set up a uh, cannery, turtle cannery down here, and made uh, turtle soup and also exported uh, turtles. And in fact, this was high-end turtle soup where, you know, the Rockefellers and the Astors and all that just absolutely loved that, had had to have that. So they would capture... Uh, live sea turtles out by the Cayman Islands and then ship them um, live over here uh, to uh, Key West and put them in uh, crawls, K-R-A-W-L. And a crawl is a Dutch word meaning a corral. So you would have that. And it wasn't until uh, 1971 that uh, the United States outlawed uh, the killing of green sea turtles. And so now if you get turtle soup that's made out of regular turtles, <laughs> not Key West green sea turtles there. Um, but th- that has that, uh, uh, you know, cachet, you know, that there seems to be that, that sense of reality here uh, of that to happen. And, and we were talking about the fact that uh, Key West was the home to uh, uh, a lot of celebrities. When you go into the check-in, uh, uh, desk there. Uh, go to your left, and again, you can come here even if you're not staying here. Uh, you go to the left. There's a lounge area, a very nice lounge area, and it's called Papa's Den because it refers to uh, Ernest Hemingway, who whose nickname uh, was Papa, and uh, he loved uh, uh, Key West. Um, uh, you know, he uh, wrote uh, Farewell to Arms. While he was living in in a little room over a, um, a Ford Motor showroom, and he was waiting for the delivery of his uh, Ford Roadster uh, car, he wrote that. He, he wrote a couple of uh, uh, books down down here. Uh, for whom the bell tolls, to have and have not, which which I first saw as a, a movie with Humphrey Bogart, who I thought, my gosh, Humphrey Bogart, he's the man, you know, <laughs> Casablanca, Maltese Falcon. 
Um, streetcar, streetcar Named Desire? <laughs> streetcar Named Desire by Tennessee Williams. The first draft was uh, uh, written down here. You know, and talking about books, because you've got Hemingway's books, you've got Williams, you've got some of the other writers who worked in Key West there. I know you were just on the Disney Dream. I was just on the Disney Dream. Up in Meridian, you know, the area that's between Remy and Paulo, in the bookcase, you know, they have nautical books and, and all of that. that. That's to be expected. But they have a copy of the Maltese Falcon and a reproduction of the Maltese Falcon statue. Now, there's a Meridian on the Disney Fantasy. That is not in the bookcase there. Why is it in the bookcase on the Disney Dream? Maltese Falcon by Dashiell Hammett. And I, and I was going crazy. I thought, does Dashiell Hammett have something to do with cruise ships? And then why isn't it on the fantasy if it's only on the dream? It's because the last line of the movie, the last line of the book, they ask Sam Spade, you know, who, again, played by Humphrey Bogart, they, they go, you know, what is that? And he goes... It's the stuff dreams are made of. Look at you, Jim Marcus. <laughs> so it's on oh, the moly. Disney dream. Well, you know, and, and that's, the, that's the wonderful thing is uh, these things that uh, are, are here at Key West, the things on Disney Dream, the things uh, in the theme parks, they're not there by accident. They're, they're, there's thought that's behind there. And even if you don't know why that reason is, you get that sense of... This seems real. This seems right. This isn't a contradiction. This isn't just something that is thrown there. It's there for a purpose. And so in Papa's Den, uh, you'll see um, uh, eight cat statues around there. And you know why there's cat <laughs> statues, right? Uh, don't you have a cat? I do. I have two Hemingway cats at home with the, with the extra toes because when they came over on ships and it was a free-for-all <laughs> amongst the cats. Um, and, yeah, obviously, Hemi was a, was a huge... And, the, and if you've ever been to Key West before, um, it's still, you know, riddled with cats. Well, yeah, in, in fact, his home, which is now a museum, is home to about um, 50, 60 cats, and about half of them uh, have that little extra uh, toe, and it's protected. They're protected uh, from his, his will. Actually, the very first ca- uh, cat he got was from a uh, sea captain in uh, Key West, and uh, the cat's name was uh, Snowball, and she had kittens, and one of the kittens was giving given to Hemingway. It was a little white kitten, and he named it Snow White. Snow White. And, in fact, uh, uh, some of the descendants of Snow White still wander around Hemingway's uh, home today. Also in Papa's Den, you'll see... Uh, 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 statues of lions, which refer to um, you know his his big game hunting. Uh, uh, over the fireplace, you'll see this marlin and fishing lures, and and that relates to old man in the sea. Uh, on either side of the fireplace, you'll see framed um, uh, pens, and those are authentic pens from the early 1900s. The type of pens that Hemingway would have used. Now. Who cares about that? Imagineers care about that, and it, it makes it right. There's uh, cigar boxes, and those were for his uh, Cuban cigars. There's even a little bell, you know, for, for whom the bell tolls. Uh, there's all sorts of wonderful uh, little items. And, and one of the things that we were looking at earlier this morning is there's two dioramas with miniatures, and they, they were made by uh, William E. Hitchcock, who passed away in uh, uh, 2006. 
and Hitchcock is, is well known uh, for his authentic miniatures of uh, uh, ships. They're very expensive. They're museum quality. They're 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 very well known. So for him to do something other than a ship is really out of the ordinary. And and he's got uh, you know a a, a, a G gauge model of. Uh, uh, one of the railroad uh, engines and, and cars that you know would would traverse uh, uh, Key West. And for me, what made me smile is there's this yellow railroad car that has the name on it uh, Rambler, and that was Henry Flagler's personal railroad car that he would hook up when you know he he went on on the railroad and, and visiting. So he had all the comforts and luxury of of home. Um, to do that, and and that's all in this one little space where most people are just spending their time sitting, waiting, <laughs> you know, uh, for somebody or something. And uh, my gosh, but it creates that atmosphere of this is real, this is Key West. And you're right. You know, we spent a little bit of time just wandering through that relatively small space, which is is a wonderful place to relax and, and read a book. But there is so much detail and story. That's not laid out uh, on a plaque. You know, you sort of have to um, extrapolate it for yourself or listen to Jim Corcus make that connection for you because that's what you do so well or so many of those, ah, like I get it, the ah, ah moment about why something um, is there. I was fascinated, again, having not been here in a while but been here many times, so many things that I saw just in Papa's Den that I had never seen before. And, and, and again, you know, it's just wonderful and... These stories are all getting lost, so that's that's why I'm very thankful, Lou, that you do these shows, so uh, these stories can get out there, so other people can have those. Because if you don't share the stories, the story, stories die, you know. Uh, and to get that information out there, and and we've gotten to that point now where many people don't know the stories, you know, or don't care to know the stories because. Uh, the Imagineers have left the company for one reason or another, and it's gone on, and, and the information hasn't been uh, passed down. And, and right opposite uh, uh, the check-in in uh, uh, Papa's uh, Den is uh, uh, the general store and, and Farnsworth's uh, cottage. The, the general store, and I want to bring that up because I want to prove that even Jim Corcus doesn't know everything. I know for a fact that the general store is run by a guy by the name of Beauregard. Uh, you know, everything from soda pop to poppy seeds. But I have no idea what Beauregard's story is. So maybe uh, some listener out there who uh, came to uh, uh, Key West, you know, when it was first opened and the stories were still fresh, you know, got, got told that story. I do know that the interior decoration was done uh, supposedly by a, a fictional character called Miss Vicky, who also decorated uh, Olivia's because she was a, uh, a friend of Olivia Farnsworth. And the interior, uh, you'll notice, uh, Lou's always telling you this, I'm telling you this, you know, uh, look up, look down, look on the sides, you know, all of that. And uh, up around the top, you'll, you'll see all of these, you know, oddball things. And it's because... Um, Key West at one time was the richest city in the United States uh, thanks to uh, salvaging from wrecks off of its coast. And so what you have up there is salvage and, and wreckage. And in fact, it was, it was so lucrative 
that uh, Key West actually encouraged shipwrecks <laughs> at night they because it was so dark they would send out these rafts and set them on fire so that ships thought they were closer to land than they really were and they yeah they they'd sink and so you'd go out and you'd you'd reclaim uh, the salvage in fact that's the reason that a lighthouse was built in Key West was to prevent that so that there was a, 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 an area where ships would know that's the safe light. That's one of the reasons you see a lot of uh, uh, lighthouses both in the shop and then out here uh, uh, by the, the pool. Interestingly enough today, because stories are living things, and so that's why they can die, but because they're living things, they can also change and transform. And so now the story of that general store is it's uh, supposed to be reminiscent of uh, Ariel's Grotto from Little Mermaid because uh, Ariel would salvage from sunken ships. And in fact, uh, you and I today, we even saw a Little Mermaid uh, statue uh, uh, up there on that shelf. And then, of course, right next to it is Farnsworth uh, Cottage. And nobody calls it that. They call it Olivia's. Because the storyline was Olivia Farnsworth loved cooking. And uh, so in her kitchen, uh, you know, which was near the road, you know, all these wonderful smells had come out. And and people would want to come in and and eat, but she didn't have enough money to open a restaurant. So, you know, she would set up a a table and, 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 and cook some things. But the locals, you know, kept coming and more tourists kept coming. But there wasn't enough room, so everybody brought their own tables and their own chairs and their own silverware. And so uh, this was more prominent in 1991, but Lou and I still saw examples of this today, where the backs of the chairs are different. You know, they're not consistent. You think, well, that's not Disney. Well, that's part of the storyline. And uh, Miss Vicky came in and did the interior uh, decoration. And in 91, when it opened, they actually had a mannequin at the uh, check-in there, which was uh, dressed up as Miss Vicky because she was supposed to be there to greet the guests because Olivia was so busy cooking. And then in the uh, uh, lobby was Captain Wahoo because you want to reference the uh, maritime uh, element. And he became very uh, popular, so that mannequin was actually put in a booth in the restaurant, and sometimes guests would request that booth, and there were uh, fish nearby, and so they would sit and have a meal with Captain Wahoo, hoping, hoping that he would break his silence and share, uh, you know, some fish tails. And then later, when capacity was needed... They, they moved him next to Miss Vicky, and then both of those disappeared. And even though I'm as old as dust, that was still before my time. I've seen pictures of that, and I've talked with people, so I know that that exists, but I never saw examples of that, and we have no indication of that now at all. Yeah, because weren't they, they were moved into the, the check-in area in the lobby, and then they just disappeared. I have, And maybe it's a false recollection of seeing... The, the mannequin at the check-in of uh, Olivia's mm-hmm. uh, a long time ago when I was here. But, you know, it's, it's interesting, Jim, because we were talking about these details and stories, and we were even chatting about it this morning. You know, a big part of the reason why people don't know them is because there is nowhere to find them. There is no great big book of Imagineering for a, a variety of reasons. But one thing I found that was interesting was a, an abridged version of the story that you just told 
is actually now on the old Key West page on the Disney website. So I love the fact that maybe because it's the original Vacation Club Resort, maybe because this is a resort where members feel like they come back home and they start to see and appreciate those details, they wanted to start them off or fill in some of those gaps about the story. And it's something that I, I wish that was more prevalent in making people, because I think the average guest, 99% of the guests don't realize that not only does everything speak, but that everything is rooted in a very, very detailed story. And you and I are the kind of people that even what we know sometimes is enough. We'll see a sign with some guy's name on it, like this morning. Mm-hmm. And you said to uh, the hostess, well, well, who is this person on the sign mm-hmm. under the ship? She didn't know. And then we sort of go and start trying to, to fill those gaps in ourselves. And and that sign was uh, right by the check-in uh, guest, uh, uh, check-in uh, for Olivia's. It's Governor Cobb. So I'm going to have to track that down. But, uh, you know, it's got to have something to do with the salad, man, or, or I'm just always hungry. <laughs> well, if it was, we'd be ha- having that on, on the menu. What? If we keep talking long enough, we can go back for lunch. <laughs> that is very true. But uh, those of you uh, listen to Lou's uh, podcast because you want that something a little extra, something you can't get on the Disney website. And, and I didn't know it, uh, that story was posted on the, on the uh uh, website and I'm so happy it is because again that'll keep the story alive. But but you notice in Olivia's there's a, a little section that is separated from the rest of the restaurant, but uh, people are in there eating. That is called the Dolphin Room because in Key West you would have that room facing out onto the water so you could see the dolphins playing. Um, and of course, right next to Olivia is, is the gurgling suitcase bar, which, which has a colorful uh, a story of its own. Because uh, again, one of the sources of income for uh, Key West was uh, during Prohibition. Because remember, we're talking about the early 1900s, so 1920-ish uh, type thing here. You're, you're dealing with Prohibition, and so um, Key West very close to Cuba, so they could bring in alcohol. And what would happen is tourists would come down here and they would buy illegal alcohol and they would wrap them up in their clothes and, and all of that uh, to cushion the bottles from breaking and put them in their suitcase, you know, to take back up north. And, um, and, 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 and here we have kids who are just absolutely delighted by that story. And so uh, what would happen is law enforcement agents would um, pick up the suitcase and shake it to see if it gurgled, you know, that that way they knew there was illegal alcohol. And if you take a look at the logo sign, you you see this man running, but he's done in the style of um, uh, 1920s advertising art. And he's carrying a, a, a suitcase. He's smiling, so obviously he's had a sample or two before <laughs> this has happened. But that's the gurgling suitcase. And so uh, you're absolutely right. Even if people don't know what is the story, but I think knowing the story enhances the experience. You know, a lot of times people say, no, that's destroying the magic, knowing this and knowing that. And, and, I, and I go, no, I, I think it enhances uh, uh, the experience, you know. There's a, well, there's a difference between yeah. sharing stories to enhance experience and revealing secrets that, that spoil it. You know, you don't want to know how the magic is made. You don't want to know how the sausage is made. But you do want to know about those details so that next time you come, you have a better overall experience. And then you can pay that forward to the people you're traveling with. 
Absolutely. You know, and we're sitting outside the gurgling uh, uh, suitcase right now. We haven't imbibed. Uh, even though it sounds like like it is, we're ju- we're just full of goodwill uh, and and uh, not actual spirits. And and I noticed that uh, on the back there they have uh, authentic license plates: uh, Disney FN, D I S N Y V C, D V C license plate, Goofy license plate, and and those are all uh, uh, real. And and again, they're just uh, and 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 in fact, up above is a, a license plate, D Z N Y G R L, Disney Girl, uh, from uh, Jackson, Jackson, Mississippi. There, and uh, there's even an old Key West uh, license plate. So it's those nice little uh, touches that you know. Uh, for those who find them, it's like the oh gosh, wow, yeah, I like that. And you know what's nice about this one? I think this is why this resort still, although it's the earliest Disney Vacation Club resort, still has a, a, a great appeal to people is because of that sense of feeling like home. The gurgling suitcase has maybe five to seven seats inside and a few more tables. We're sitting at a picnic table right outside. There's good food to go right next door. There is something very warm, I think, and welcoming about this um, even more so than maybe some of the newer um, vacation club resorts. I, I want to go back for a second because as I was thinking about this in terms of a vacation club property, I want to I want to um, put it all in context. So when they began pre-sales for something that Disney was dipping its toe into, something very new, pre-sales started at $48 per point. <laughs> it rose to a whopping $51 when uh, sales began in uh, October 1991 um, at the preview center, which was renamed to the uh, the Commodore House um, later on, um, but when they were selling, and even to this to this day, too, Jim, the the way that sales of Vacation Club ownership is still very different. It's still very low key, very informative. Um, it's not meant to be a high pressure thing. Originally. They just had the uh, original preview center, and they would put marketing brochures in some of the guest rooms, and then later added booths, one to Walt Disney World, one to Epcot. And initially, there were no, you know, now, in order to get you into a a timeshare on 192, we're going to give you a free ticket, you're going to get a free, I mean, you're going to be sitting there for 12 hours, but you'll get a free ticket at the end of it. There were no incentives for visitors that came in. Uh, you had a very sort of informative presentation. They showed you some of the model rooms. Uh, do you remember when they used to have the giant yellow, it wasn't like a bus, but it was almost like a, a giant woody station wagon mm-hmm. that was outside that would take you to uh, and from the Commodore house. Um, but whatever Disney was doing worked well because initially one out of every four guests that came in bought um, Walt Disney Vacation Club. They made 1,500 sales in the first six months alone, um, usually around 250 points. Doing the math, that works out to be $50 million in the uh, in the first year. And then later on, they would get um, free theme park admission. So depending on the size of what you bought, so if you did, if you stayed at the studios, you got um, two passes. If you stayed at the Grand Villa, you got um, up for six. And then again, they opened this um, in phases 
over the years, and I think you mentioned earlier, it changed to uh, Disney Vacation Club in January '96. Uh, it sold out in 1998, and that's when they started to expand some of not just this resort, but then the um, the Vacation Club in and of um, itself. But you know, as, as uh, clever as they are, Disney uh, uh, can make mistakes. You know, I've been to Vero Beach and I've been to Hilton Head. In fact. I went both times uh, to do training of staff, you know, on Disney history and uh, things like that. And I love the experience, but they're both very isolated. And what Which they, is what some guests want. They yeah. want the Disney experience, but not in the theme park environment. Uh, yes, and, and there are some Disney guests who don't care for kids, <laughs> and we talked about that and all that. But generally, they found that if Disney guests wanted to be a member of the Disney Vacation Club, they wanted to be on property. And so even though there were plans of building vacation clubs all across the country, they've been building them here. And Well, we've got another one being built, uh, what, in front of the uh, uh, Caribbean, right? The Caribbean Resort uh, uh, out here because people wanted to be close to that uh, uh, magic for that to happen. Now, as we were walking around a little earlier today, I had to write this down because because uh, my mind isn't as sharp as as it used to be. Uh, that's one of the reasons I write books, is so I don't have to remember all of this stuff. I can just go look in the book. But we found the uh, seal of the city, the the seal of uh, Conch Flats, and uh, again, very very subtle. You you'll see it uh, throughout here, and again, it has a, a, an image. You know of of Conch Flat, but it has three Latin phrases, and Lou and I were looking at those. One of them says "pro bono persona," and that's Latin for your own good. And then "vini vici veni ad infinitum," I came, I saw, I stayed forever. And then "carpe diem omnidiem," which is Lou. You know, I took two years of Latin in high school because my mom told me it would be so much better than taking typing. Uh, shows what she knew, and for law school purposes. Uh, but obviously, carpe diem is seize the day, and it's seize the day every day. Mm-hmm. And and again, what a nice little touch, and and relates so much to Disney Vacation Club for crying out out loud. And uh, you know, sometimes you don't need to know these things. Sometimes you can just wander around. In fact, uh, one of the things you didn't uh, uh, know was here was uh, the family tree, right? And, and as we were wandering, and again, I, I, I'm not a vacation club member, but I do enjoy coming here um, when friends stay. I have some friends that this is the resort that they swear by. This It's where they feel at home, but I had never seen the family tree, although the, my kids had played in the wonderfully themed Sandcastle play area. Um, but that means, you know, there's a and lot of things. It's gigantic. It's huge, castle. yeah. Um, and it's right by the pool. I mean, it's, and that's the thing, everything is, is close by. So I'm looking at the lighthouse, obviously modeled after the, the lighthouse that you, West. right? Um, that has something in it. A lot of people don't know that I don't think any other resort has. There's a sauna at the pool located inside the lighthouse. Which, of course, you're going to treat me to after <laughs> this because I've, I've shared all that. Uh, the, yes, as Lou was saying, the family tree is, is down there by that gigantic uh, sandcastle. It, it was planted in uh, 1991, and it has multiple trunks, just like many uh, uh, families do. And if you want to know uh, what the tree uh, 
how high it was when it was first planted in 1991, uh, Disney actually took a cutting and planted just to the side of it uh, another tree with it's got three trunks and you can see it's the exact same height and you know we really need to do a podcast about all of the um, uh, trees at Walt Disney World I, I was over at the uh, uh, Polynesian and I was uh, talking to Auntie uh, Kauai uh, who is still sitting there in the uh, 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 lobby and boy, talk about a woman who defies age. You know, she's like what eighty seven, yeah. eighty eight, wh- whatever, and and she's got more energy than than I do. And I, I was sitting and I was talking to her, and uh, I was talking about uh, the kukui nut tree. The kukui nut tree is out uh, the back door of the Polynesian, and uh, uh, by tradition, you can't get a kukui nut tree yourself, and you can't plant it yourself. It has to be planted. By someone else, it also has to be planted in the back uh, of the house. And the kukui nut, it was uh, used for uh, 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 lighting. It, uh, it can be crushed and used as a dye. It can be uh, used as a candy. There's, there's, there's like two dozen uses, whatever. And I was always told that that was, uh, and in fact, you'll see the management staff at the Polynesian where Kakui Nut lays because that's a, because it can be used for lighting. That's supposed to light the way for their cast members to, to model the, the spirit of uh, Ohana. Uh, and uh, I was talking to Andy Kawai and I said, yes, I, I know that that is the only, it's native to Polynesia, it, it's the only Kukui uh, nut tree in Florida, and she says, "Well, no, that's not true anymore. Disney has taken some of those nuts and planted them." So, and I'm thinking, "And so, where are those trees?" But, it, but again, Disney's middle name is Jello. It's constantly changing. But uh, I, I think it's fascinating. The even the landscape. You were talking about how everything speaks. Even the landscape at uh, at a Walt Disney World. Uh, theme park speaks and and that that's what makes it different and uh i give kudos to to universal studios they've they've got some uh incredible things not just harry potter but the spider-man ride things like that but it doesn't all hold together not everything works together uh you know there are contradictory things At, at, at disney it's all very consistent and so having a family tree here at key west very, very consistent in telling, in terms of telling the story. And I think to your point, you know, we talk about, we've done so many times in the parks, the, the transformative experiences. When you cross a portal, when you cross a threshold, you are, you go from Victorian era, Main Street USA, into Adventureland. You're transported somewhere else. That same thing happens here when you pass through that gateway and you step foot into Old Key West you, it has a different feel than any of the other resorts. Um, and if you've been to Key West before, you get a lot of, um, you clearly see the influence that's here. Um, I think there's a lot of other things that this resort has. Because sometimes, you know, we, we enjoy and, and savor, and part of the fun for us is the, uh, the exploration of the details and the stories and, and the names and, and all those things that speak. But I think there's some other things I wanted to point out that are sort of some not-so-hidden or, or overly geeky 
um, things to love about uh, Old Key West. Again, I mentioned the the sauna that's there. Um, I know for a lot of people, a simple thing like just being able to park so close to your room, you're not walking through big hallways. Uh, there's actually, so we're sitting right here by... You've got the water taxi? You have the water taxi right over to um, Saratoga Springs or to Disney Springs. There's actually, I mean, not that I would ever walk it, but there's actually a nature path that you could take. It's a 20, 30-minute walk if you want to go to both. When we were over by the family tree, there's outdoor sports courts, which, again, not all the resorts have. So, again, this is not the body made for athletics. But for those of you who are inclined to do tennis, basketball, ping pong, shuffleboard, there's bumper pool tables outside. Um, there's a beautiful fire pit if you go sort of past the, um, the pool and the, the playground areas. Um, and I think for a lot of people, one of the reasons why they love this resort as vacation club or even just to, to rent rooms here, because again, you don't need to be staying at the vacation club to use the vacation club rooms, is the rooms are much larger here um, than any of the um, uh, Disney Vacation Club properties. So um, all the rooms refurbished seven-ish or so years ago. The studios clock in at 376 square feet. The villas are 942. And the two-bedroom are 1,333 square feet. The three-bedroom grand villa is bigger than my house. It's (laughs) 2,375 square feet. Um, They're supposedly very tough to get. They book up pretty quickly. But, you know, they're like homes. They're two stories and full dining rooms and... um, uh, you know, private baths for each of the bedrooms. So uh, I see why a lot of people... And something else, too, again, is going back to the athletes. In the, they also do an occasional... Um, they do a fun run here. So although I, I we have the WWE running team, this is not a body made for running, but like a week ago, geez, I just missed it. They do the Southernmost Point 3K fun run, which they did on a... Actually, there's one coming up. They did it the 10th, the 17th in January at 7 a.m. And uh, you can register in the community hall. So it gives you an opportunity to not just run for fun, but you can participate in a little uh, event as well. Oh, speaking of exercise, we walk by the exercise room again. I don't know what goes on in that forbidden place, but it's known as the Rest Beach Recreation Department. And you said R-E-S-T actually stands for... Uh, recreation, exercise, swimming, and tennis. Because uh, Key West, of course, uh, uh, has all that coral, so they have man-made beaches. So that's why you have man-made beach here and and all of that. And I'm with you, Lou. When it comes to exercise, the only uh, <laughs> exercise I get is uh, jumping to assumptions. That's about all I, I get at, at, at uh, this particular time. And, and again, remember... Don't put these things off because Disney is constantly changing. Uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had some friends out here, and I, I met them over at um, Port Orleans French Quarter, which uh, we've done a show on. So go back and, and check your uh, uh, Lou podcasts uh, there. But but they've done changes over there. First off, now you can get beignets. That's a good change. That's a really good change. And, and, and they make them fresh right there. And I, I will tell you one thing, eating a... Fresh, warm beignet is better than taking the beignets home and eating it when they're cold. It's like a warm cuddle. Yeah, <laughs> but, but they've changed that there. And so uh, a, a lot of the Mardi Gras props that Lou and I talked about have been removed from the uh, 
uh, food court area there. I, I, I was talking with one of the cast members, and they, they said, well, the big uh, head, which was from Blaine Kern's uh, Mardi Gras, it frightened children. So it, and me. It, it, yeah. It. <laughs> and, and, but behind the check-in counter, they used to have, um, you know, just like all-star uh, uh, music. You know, the railings have uh, notes so that it plays music. Uh, they had uh, notes behind the check-in counter that uh, uh, if you knew music, it was when the saints, you know. And, and that's all gone now. And so Disney is constantly changing. And so things that you think uh, are, are there, and I have to be very careful when I have friends come out and I say, oh, yeah, I'm going to go show you the la-la-la. And, and especially with all that construction in front of Magic Kingdom, which is just a huge mess as far as I'm concerned. I don't mean to be negative, but it, it's quite a challenge to maneuver uh, through that. Uh, you know, don't wait because uh, things are constantly changing and it, it, it's nice to see these things when they're there. Well, and the one thing that I'm happy about, too, you know, we, we like to take people with us through the podcast, through your books, my audio. We like to take people on tours with us, but obviously it's not scalable. But one thing they've started doing, and they actually have it here, is they do have free tours you can take. So they now have a Legend of Conk Flats uh, tour for members. It's about a 60-minute walking tour for members and guests that leave from the hospitality house. Uh, Wednesdays and Saturdays at 10 a.m. You don't have to register in advance. You don't have to sign up for it. You can just show up. And it really takes you through, again, how Imagineers designed and developed and created and I think continue to adjust and and improve the experience, not just um, as a resort guest, but the storytelling experience. And I, I think, again, doing that same thing, trying to enhance your appreciation for your experience. Now, have you taken that tour, Luke? Not yet. I was kind of hoping it was today or else we would have taken it together. (laughs) I have taken it, and I am telling you, Jim Corcus highly recommends it. Uh, It it has been uh, written and it is given by a uh, member of the uh, guest uh, relations uh, team here at the uh, check-in desk. And I will tell you that it is entertaining and it is accurate. Uh, And uh, the fellow who put it together, I know uh, he sweated bullets trying to find the information and that... He contacted uh, archives, uh, the Disney archives out in California and and all of that. And I was just delighted, which I am not always on some of the Disney tours, uh, which I I feel that sometimes some of the uh, uh, guides are putting in information that they think is correct but is not. Uh, This one, absolutely wonderful. And again, there isn't uh, an it's 60 minutes, but it's not an awful lot uh, of, uh, of walking. The first 15 minutes or 20 minutes or so are, are in Papa's Den, you know, giving the background. And then you uh, walk down uh, uh, Turtle Crawl over here. You end up over by the um, uh, family tree. And so, you know, there are plenty of places uh, to sort of stop and lean against things and all of that. But again, highly recommended. And uh, speaking of highly recommended, I highly recommend you purchase my latest books. You beat me to the which, segue, <laughs> you? Uh, which uh, came out in December. One of them is uh, Call Me Walt. 
everything you never knew about Walt Disney. You've been called lots of things. I'm not sure if Walt is. <laughs> and uh, it's not another biography of Walt. I think there are plenty of biographies out there. Some of them are, are, are good, like the Bob Thomas one. A lot of them are just miserable. <laughs> but I, I wrote the book because uh, so many people think of Walt as a thing and sort of just define him by his uh, accomplishments. You say Walt Disney, oh yeah, he made Mickey Mouse. He made uh, the first Technicolor animated feature, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, uh, audio animatronics, Disneyland, all of that. None of those are mentioned in my book uh, because I deal with Walt as a person. So there's a chapter about each member of his family, each of his brothers, uh, each of his daughters, his, his wife, his mom and dad, uh, about the... Uh, 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 all of the dogs and cats that he had in his life, all of the different cars that he had, uh, the different hobbies uh, uh, that he had. And, and again, it's not the obvious ones you would think. You know, you would think, oh, yes, uh, he liked uh, uh, trains. He liked polo. He liked miniatures. I, I have a whole chapter in there about lawn bowling. You know, where, where Walt was spending all of that time working on uh, Cal Arts and the Florida Project and uh, all of these other things. He was a lawn bowler down in, in at Smoke Tree Ranch. Uh, he, he actually created the lawn bowling green. Uh, and uh, he, bowl, he was a lawn bowler uh, in Beverly Hills as well. And, in fact, when he went out to... Uh, uh, get that uh, medal, that recognition from uh, President Johnson. Uh, they stopped in Philadelphia. He brought out some of his team, and they went to a tournament. They were winning trophies. And even to this day, and people don't realize this, there is a Walt Disney um, bowling trophy, an annual tournament. And the uh, the trophy is like about three, four feet high. It's got a gold Mickey at the top of it. It's got a uh, a, uh, a picture of Walt's face on, and then at the bottom it's got four of Walt's uh, bowling uh, uh, balls there. Uh, they were called bowls, bowling uh, bowls, and uh, he's got that there. So all of that is in the book. There's a chapter about his, his uh, donations to charity because he did all of that, you know, without any publicity. Uh, whatsoever, but uh, uh, one of the things that people have enjoyed is at the back of the book is there are twelve separate chapters where uh, I debunk the most common myths about Walt that Walt was not anti-Semitic, Walt was not misogynistic, well, Walt was not frozen. I, I tracked down the president of the only cryonics company in the world at the time that Walt passed away to talk to him and say, look, you were the only company that was existing and was set up to do this. You know, did you... He says, boy, we would have loved to have frozen Walt. That would have made our company. He says, but we didn't. And he says, you know, people say this and we just have to laugh because if you're going to freeze somebody, you do it immediately. And Walt, they kept in the hospital bed for a couple of hours so the family could gather and say their goodbyes. And I know that was true. I talked with Diane Disney about it, and, and there's some heartbreaking stories uh, about that. And then I got Walt's death certificate and tracked down the uh, uh, cremator because he signed his name and put his license number and the seal and all that. And he said, nope, uh, it, it was the family's wishes. It was Mr. Disney's wishes. You know, he, he was cremated. But again, it was a... A small family funeral, only about a half dozen people there. People 
weren't allowed to go over and see him at uh, St. Joseph's, so they didn't know how sick he was. Um, I cover what Walt ate. I, fo- I covered what his favorite TV shows were. How uh, at at night, once uh, uh, Diane and uh, uh, Sharon had uh, uh, gotten married, had had left home, that Walt and Lillian would eat with TV trays in front of the TV set. Walt would be in bed usually by nine thirty at night. And one of the shows they loved watching was You Bet Your Life with Groucho Marx, you know. And so what's amazing about Walt was, you know, he was so common and yet so uncommon, you know. Uh, uh, He was simple and yet he was complicated. And so all of this deals with Walt as a person. And, in fact, I I even include a a section because all these Imagineers and animators I've... I've, um, interviewed over the years and and we're talking about 40 years now um I, I one of the questions i asked them was you know tell me about walt and so all of those are uh, excerpted in the book as well too so you get these uh uh reactions from people who actually knew walt and and again i don't uh step aside from um uh the unpleasant things you know like his temper the fact that he liked to make fun of other uh, uh, people. Uh, the famous wounded bear suit, you know, that when Walt was in a foul mood, they said he was wearing his wounded bear suit because a wounded bear is dangerous. You don't want to poke a wounded bear because he's in pain. You know, he'll, he'll lash out. And when you read the book, you'll see in the last couple of years of Walt's life, he was in pain, not just from the polo injury, but uh, he had to go in once or twice a week to get his sinuses drained. Uh, he had dental problems where literally the uh, uh, side of his cheek would cave in because the, the pain was, was so uh, extreme. And they were trying to, to, to save the teeth, so they were doing all of this. Uh, rig- they should have just pulled them. But, you know, uh, so this guy was in an awful lot of physical pain. And so sometimes in the last couple of years of his life, when you see him as grumpy, you know, I, I can completely understand that. And, and also... In December came out uh, Vault of Walt Volume Six, and so there are um, stories about uh, all of the uh, audio animatronic uh, dinosaurs in the different uh, Disney theme parks, and uh, how Walt uh, was influenced by Charlie Chaplin and his meetings with uh, uh, Charlie Chaplin. There's a, there's a whole uh, chapter on the only Orange Bird animated film ever made. And I talked with the guy who uh, directed and animated that, Dave Bennett. Uh, So, uh, again, uh, these are stories that really aren't being written anywhere else, and so that's why I'm writing them. I I, I was telling Lou here today, you know, when I start writing about something, I look to see, you know, what else has been written about it. Uh, You know, so either I have a different perspective or whatever, and I just always pray that somebody else has written about it and written about it well so I don't have to do this work because I don't know everything. Uh, so you can get these at uh, Amazon.com uh, and uh, maybe a future book will have a, a story of Conch uh, Flats here. Uh, maybe I should just go back and, and pull out all the podcasts I've done with Lou and transcribe those. And, and by the way, have you ever interviewed Andy Kwai over there at the Polynesian? 
I've spoken with her. I haven't actually done a, a formal interview because usually I, I, when I'm about to start asking, we should do an interview. We just start chatting, and and she is, you're right. She is a uh, a, a, a gem, a true and, gem, right? And ageless, yeah. and and absolutely ageless. And in fact, as a child, she was there at Pearl Harbor. She was up there on the roof as a as a child, and she says, "Oh, I I, I was so foolish. I was looking at these." these white planes with the emblems on the side and I thought they were so pretty and my mother was yelling at me and my brother to get into the house but boy she was part of history and and you know Walt himself kept wanting her to come over and um, do dances over uh, at uh, uh, Disneyland you know when they they had that uh, little area right next to um, uh, the Tiki Room, uh, and I can't remember the name of it now because it's uh, it's Aladdin's Oasis was the last one. But it, the Tahitian Terrace, Tahitian yeah, yeah. Terrace, Tahitian Terrace, and she didn't want to do that. She said because she felt if she came over, you know, she would never go back. But in 1971, she and her husband were finally convinced to come out and stage the Luau at the Polynesian, with the understanding that it would be six months to a year. <laughs> And so, of course, it ended up being much more than that. She never went back. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, although she did go back a couple of years ago and got a special, um, it's the Duke something. And, and, and it's for those people who best represent the spirit of the islands uh, uh, for that. And, and as I said, she's like 87 now, maybe 88 and she still sits in the lobby and hand makes uh, these uh, carnation lays, which are given to uh, generally wel- wedding couples or, or, or special uh, uh, events. And she still teaches hula uh, oh, Wednesday mornings and Saturday mornings. And I'm thinking, holy cow. And, and she says... Sometimes I just stand up and move my cane back and forth. But she says, yes, I, I, I still do that. So, you know, again, lots of wonderful, delightful hidden treasures. So when you go visit the Polynesian, go say hello to Auntie Kauai in, uh, in the lobby. Tell her that uh, Lou and Jim said to say hello. You're like the you're the uh, the, the author version of like eight Years from now, you're going to be sitting in front of your royal typewriter pumping out Vault of Walt volume. 27. And again, I'm going to link to all those. <laughs> if you like some of those stories about Walt, back on show 501, I think we did 10 Things You Never Knew About Walt Disney, a nice little primer for the book. Mm-hmm. And there's lots more, Jim, that we have to uh, cover, discover. And, and we've discover. done some resorts. We've under, done some resorts. Yeah, right? we did. We've done... Um, a wilderness Lodge. We also did uh, the Swan and Dolphin. The, oh, yes. We uh, we like debunked myths or something about the, the Swan and Dolphin. Yeah. Myth, myth, yes. Um, <laughs> we'll have to do and you know what why don't you let us know what resort you'd like us to do next mm. what sort of secrets and stories and details would you like us to up- uncover for you in an upcoming episode of the show Jim I always love doing with this this with you especially when we can sit down face to face plate to plate and uh, and dine and share this together so um, like Auntie Kauai, like this resort, uh, you too are a, uh, are a treasure, and I appreciate you so much being here. Thank you so, so much, Lou. I always enjoy spending the time with you because uh, you're sincerely and passionately uh, interested in Disney. I think you promote the best of Disney, and, and I will say that one of the greatest compliments I ever receive 
And I, I just uh, heard this uh, when I was on the Disney Dream, is someone coming up to me and saying, you know, I listen to you on Lou's podcast, and, and I just really in, enjoy that, and, and that helps me uh, appreciate uh, Disney a, a little more. And, and we're so, uh, both of us are so grateful that we have that opportunity to share these stories with you. Please share them uh, uh, with others. Please buy my books. And uh, I'll look forward to seeing you again soon. Time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World's history or how well you pay attention to the details, sometimes in what you see, sometimes in what you hear or heard in the past. If you think you know the answer, you can enter via our online form for a chance to win a Disney prize package. Before we get to this week's question, we're going to go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week, we talked about looking ahead and thinking back as we turn the page from 2017 to 2018. And in doing so, I talked about how I still love so many of the classic attractions in Walt Disney World, many of which I hope never change, never leave, and Carousel of Progress remains one of those favorites. And so your question last week was to tell me, what's the name of the young son in the Carousel of Progress? Well, if you've paid close attention in between singing the song, you know that John is the dad and Sarah is his lovely wife. And little Jimmy, with his werewolf mask on Halloween, is their young son. Patricia is his older sister, and we won't talk about the other sibling that disappeared from one scene to the next. But I took all of the correct entries, randomly selected one. And again, last week you were playing for the 102 Ways to Save Money for an At Walt Disney World book all seven of my virtual audio walking tours of the Magic Kingdom, all of which are still on sale for just $10 in the WW Radio shop. A Magic Band cover, some WW Radio stickers, a WW Radio pop socket night not available in stores. And last week's winner, randomly selected, is Kelly Vogel. So, Kelly, congratulations. You use the online form, so I have your shipping address. I will get your prize package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay. Because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So one of my favorite places, except in the summer when it's 217 degrees and 97% humidity, is Disney's Animal Kingdom, specifically the Maharaja Jungle Trek, which is so well-themed after this uh, royal Anandapurian forest. Um, It's a great opportunity not just to see so many uh, animals that are native to Southeast Asia, but some of the amazing viewing areas, birds, the aviary, the bats, and details and story that's in there. But your question isn't about what you can see and do and experience there. It's about the name. Because Maharaja is a Sanskrit title meaning what? All you need to do is tell me, what does Maharaja mean? Go to www.radio.com. Click on this week's podcast. Use the online form there. You have until 11.59 p.m. on Sunday, February 4th to enter. Again, you're going to play for the book, the audio tours, the Magic Band cover, stickers, a pop socket, and just because I'm going to throw in a mystery prize as well. So good luck and have fun. 
That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so very much for taking the time to tune in this and every week and joining us live from Disney's Old Key West Resort. I'd love to hear some of your comments and thoughts about the resort, some of your favorite things to do there, or just answer your questions, talk about anything that you like, and I'd invite you to please go and join the WW Radio Box People group over on Facebook. Easy link to get there. Just go to www.radio.com slash box people. It'll take you right there. Be part of the community, part of the conversation. Uh, it's really where I want sort of the, the home base to be for all of our conversations. And make sure you like the WW Radio Facebook page as well. I am at Lou Mangello everywhere else on social, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. If you have a question you want me to answer on the show, you can email me, lou at www.radio.com. Or call the voicemail at 407-900-9391. That's 407-900-WDW1 and be heard on the air with a question, a comment, or just a hello from the parks. Be sure and also join me every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern for WW Radio Live as I go live either from the parks, resorts, sometimes the home studio, and be sure and turn on notifications on Facebook as I go live from other locations as well. Thanks to everybody who joined me last week for some special live broadcasts from aboard the Disney Dream, including something brand new. For the first time, I went live in 360 degrees, which means as you are walking and chatting and interacting live, you can direct not only where the conversation goes, but where your view is as you swipe and move your phone uh, up and around. You could actually look live in 360 degrees. It's a great new fun, interactive way to really sort of bring you with me and make you feel as though you are there. To check out some of the live videos, go to the WW Radio page on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash WW Radio. If you turn on notifications, you'll find out as I go live, either regular live video and or 360 degrees by turning on notifications there or by liking, by becoming a member of the Box People group. Of course, as much as I love connecting with you online, nothing continues to beat a handshake and a hug i love the opportunity to meet and thank you and chat with you in person that's why i continue to do meets of the month every single month in walt disney world and our next meet of the month is locked in it's going to be saturday february 24th which as you may know is the disney princess half marathon weekend so what better way to celebrate a day with tiaras and running and sweaty hugs and personal accomplishments but with a meal fit for a princess or a prince. So it has to involve food, glorious food, hot french fries and gravy. So, of course, I'm talking about poutine. It's going to be at the Daily Poutine in Disney Springs. Can you hear the smile on my face just talking about it? It gets me excited. It is going to be Saturday, February 24th. From 2 o'clock to 3.30 p.m., it'll be a long time after the 10K that morning, still early enough in the day if you're going to be uh, running in the Princess Half the next day. I'm actually doing this to help you so you can carb load for the half the next day. Go to the WW Radio Facebook page, RSVP there, just to let me know that you're coming. Of course, it's open to anyone and everyone, always free. So come by yourself, bring the whole family. Kids are, of course, welcome as well. And there's poutine. Um, our Alaska cruise, we actually still have a couple of spots remaining if you want to join us. If you go to, again, the Facebook page, it's the best way to find out more. And you can also cast your vote for our WW Radio Alaskan Adventure Cruise Logo Contest by going to the Box People group or the WW Radio page on Facebook. Also, 
I have another a bunch of other meet and events, not necessarily in Walt Disney World, but on the road as I speak to conferences and schools. I'm going to be the closing keynote at PodFest at the Wyndham right here in Orlando, February 8th through the 10th. If you go to loumangelo.com slash PodFest, you'll find out more as well as some other locations I'll be speaking as well. And if I can come speak to your business, your event, your conference, your group, or your school, or just sort of help you turn your passion into your profession with some personal mentoring or group coaching. You can find out more by visiting loumangelo.com. Thanks as always to Becky Mankin and the entire team over at mousefantravel.com. Whatever Disney destination or any destination around the world, they will help you not only plan and save, but the entire team of agents gives you the best, not only possible prices, but an incredible level of service, all at no cost to you. And of course, they're over at mousefantravel.com. And subscribe to Celebrations Magazine over at celebrationspress.com. And as always, my friend, and you are my friend, whether we have met yet or not, all I ask is one thing. If you like the show, and I hope that you do, please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Tweet out that you're listening. Share a link to this or your favorite episode and why you like it with your friends on Facebook. That's so incredibly helpful. And if you can, just take 30 seconds to rate and review the show over on iTunes. Thanks to you. We have more than, I think, 1,400 five-star reviews. Uh, it's incredibly helpful. It helped us reach number two overall among any all podcasts in iTunes just over a year ago. I want to thank some recent reviewers like Andrew Milan from the United States who says, It's awesome. I listen to Lou and his podcast each week. It's never a letdown. Great as usual. A+. Plus. Caitlin Seal says, it's my favorite podcast. If you're a Disney fan and looking for a way to get your Disney fix in between visits, look no further than WDW Radio. I've always loved Disney in the parks, but my desire to learn the history of the place I love so much has only increased in my 20s. I've explored several other podcasts before finding WW Radio, and I am so happy that I found this one. I love the way that Lou brings the parks to life and gives me a little bit of magic in between my visits. I've been so blessed to be able to visit Disney World quite a few times, but Lou always tells me something new that I never known or noticed about the parks. I love the mix of history, fun secrets and reviews, especially the food. Thank you. Lou, you have a forever listener in me. Thank you for what you do, and I can't wait to see what you have in store for WRU in 2018. Caitlin, thank you so much. And JR925 says, all I can say is simply amazing. Drop the mic, JR. That's exactly the way to do it. Uh, thanks to all of you who have uh, left a review. If you want to leave a review, just search for WW Radio in iTunes or go to www.radio.com slash iTunes. And again, you know, thank you guys so very much for taking the time to tune in and uh, all the conversations on Twitter and Facebook and messages that you send me privately. I love being able to connect with you and talk with you, not just about Disney. So many of you have reached out to me um, for help or guidance in, you know, turning doing this sort of similar thing that I've done, right? Turning the thing that you love into into what you do, whether it's speaking uh, at your, your group or event or working with you and sort of some one-on-one -on -one mentoring. Um, and, I, and I was talking to somebody earlier this week and it really made me think, you know, this is not about a journey or a quest to become happy because I think the more that you try and search for and strive to achieve happiness, like a destination, I think the more sometimes we overlook the possibility that it's there already. You just sometimes need to know where to look. And me, I look to you. And I thank you for the happiness that you bring me every single week, every single day. I hope that I, through this show, do the same for you. And I truly hope that this is your best week ever. So until next time, thanks so very much for tuning in. Have a great week. See ya. 
Hi, Lou. My name is Martin O'Connor. Um, I'm just calling to thank you for all the great work that you do with the uh, WDW radio show. Um, I am a loyal listener. I've listened to all 505 episodes, and I'm currently getting ready to start number 506. That's a whole lot of Lou, but it's also been a whole lot of fun. Um, I appreciate everything you do, like I said. Um, love the show. Um, enjoy all the enthusiasm that you bring about Disney, and uh, I'm always looking forward to the next episode. So thanks again very much, and keep up the good work. How's it going, Lou? This is Brian Rainey again. I'm from Kansas City, Missouri. I call quite often, but just want to let you know I'm back in the world and having a good time. Uh, I love it here. That's all i got to say is I love it here. And so came at a good time because it's like two degrees in Kansas City. It's like 70 here in Florida right now. But anyway, I'm walking down Sunset Boulevard. Just got off Tower Terror. I'm going to go down to Epcot and check out this arts festival and eat some food. So I'll call you in a couple of days. See ya. Hey, Lou, this is Ryan and my son. Hi. His name is Micah. You were supposed to say that. But what can we say? Uh, you On episode 498, you said that uh, we should be calling in and tell you when we first get off Spaceship Earth what we like best. So um, I'll let Micah talk first. Micah, what's your favorite thing on Spaceship Earth? It's when we, uh, it's when you, like, go onto the, um, when you, like, see, like, the people in the family watching the moon landing. I found that very interesting because you got to see a television screen that looked old-timey. Cool. My favorite spot is when we get up to the top of the dome and we see the Earth and we realize that we're just floating along in this rock for 30,000 plus years. So, but, uh, hey man, thanks for all you do. We love it. We're currently eating our way around the world. Pray for us that, uh, that our yoga pants can expand enough for us to enjoy them all. Have a good one, Lou. Please thanks call for- us back. <laughs> Hey, Lou, this is Mark Thompson from Buford. I was listening to episode 505 about the movies that Walt Disney might call his favorites. Um, Some things that I think of is if you think of movies that were during his time, I I really think that Snow White, he would rank up there as his favorite, mainly because this was the movie that was done done in secret by a studio, and he put his most attention to it, his most detailed work. Um, He wanted it to be his ultimate masterpiece. This was just a new innovation in movies. And so every movie that came out after Snow White, he really felt that the same level of attention was not given to it. It was very similar to or analogous to Steve Jobs' iPhone. It was done under secret. And so a lot of attention was paid to it by his engineers, a lot of excitement. And so when it came out, it was truly revolutionary, just as Snow White was back in his days. And I really think he would call that his best and his favorite. Um, movies after his time, I think he might call his favorite one would be Toy Story. Um, again, another Steve Jobs reference there. Uh, Toy Story was also very, very innovative. It was There was a lot of storytelling into it. I'm very imaginative, very um, uh, adoptable by all kinds of audiences. And it really, really resonated with a lot of audiences, too. So it was, I think he would attach himself to that very well. The, the technology behind it was very innovative. And I, I think those aspects are things that Walt Disney would enjoy. And I think after after Toy Story would be Tangled, this is really when um, Disney Studios succeeded in bringing that, that CGI technology into their space and making a story from them, not from Pixar. And Tangled really had that fantasy element, element to it done very, very well and and then played over into Frozen. I think you would enjoy Tangled. I don't know if you would name it Tangled, but I think you would really, really enjoy that movie um, and, and probably would have wished he made some of those other movies using that same technology. Um, 
if I had to pick a non-Disney story that was close to a Disney story, since it is part of the parks, I think Avatar um, would be one of his favorite, too, because it was just extremely revolutionary, um, shocked a lot of audiences. Um, people came out of theaters wishing they were in that environment. And, of course, Disney was um, inspired to make that environment and put it into Animal Kingdom. And so those are the stories that I think he would enjoy. I enjoyed you rattling off some of the older movies from 1970s. One of my favorites was Candle Shoes. So I remember when I was a kid watching that on the Disney Channel, I'd watch it over and over again. I don't know what was about it, but I really enjoyed Candle Shoes. Anyway, have a good one. Hey, Lou, it's Christine Morrison from Flowertown, PA. I was just listening to podcast episode 363, where you guys did a DSI investigation of Alien Encounter. I love that ride. I would come off of there like, oh, my God, that was awesome, and we have to do it again. I do understand what you were saying about it maybe being not quite appropriate um, for little kids, a little too scary, maybe it didn't quite fit in with Tomorrowland, but I have to tell you, I really, really do miss that ride. Um, my sister and I went on there together, and we were screaming and cracking up, and I have to tell you, it was a little bit scary, but boy, did I want to keep going on. That was an awesome ride. I really, really appreciated that DSI episode. It really took me back one of my favorite visits to Walt Disney World. Um, as much as I miss it and I wish I could go on it again, I do understand why it's gone. I also do love what it was replaced with, which is Stitch. Um, he's awesome, one of my favorites. Love him. And uh, that's it. So thank you for that episode. It was really, really fun to listen to. I have a wonderful, wonderful week, and I will see you in the box tonight. Adios. Bye-bye. Hello, Lou Mangiello. It's Darlene Nagy from West Seneca, New York, and I am calling in to say thank you so much for taking us on the Disney Dream this weekend. It is so beautiful. I miss that ship so much because that was my very first cruise with the WDW Radio Group Cruisers. Yay. And just think, you've got 250 days until you go on your next group cruise to Alaska and hitting all the ports that I love so much. You're going to have so much fun. Just remember, don't stay in your stateroom if you have a small porthole, even a large porthole. Being up on deck, looking over is the best place to view the glaciers and the seals and looking at everything if nature has made for us. With saying that, I have 119 days until my birthday cruise and 140, oh no, you have 148 days until your cruise and I have 250 days until my trip, oh my goodness, <laughs> to Disney World with the Sternbergs. I'm looking at my numbers confused. Only 148. You better start working on that plan, Becky. <laughs> Talk to you soon. Love you guys. Sorry about the confusion. <laughs> Love you. You've got a friend in me. Yeah. Dance off, bro. 
Me and you.